0: I invite you to pray with me as we we turn to receive from God what he has to say. Oh Lord, we long for the day when the battle with our flesh, the battle with that part of us that's still tied to Adam, the battle with that part of us that's still consumed by desires and appetites and cravings, when that battle will be over once and for all, and we will be new in bodies that can't be corrupted or made wrong anymore. And Lord, we trust your promise that that day is coming, and yet we face the fact that that day is not here yet. And so here we are today, Lord, between the already and the not yet having our souls set free by your death and resurrection, O Jesus, and salvation at work, redeeming us, having one foot in the new creation, being new on the inside and yet still living in bodies that are so prone to temptation. And so, Lord, we need this word from Proverbs this morning, and I pray you'd help us to listen to it, I pray, O oh Lord, you'd help us to hear it with humble and receptive hearts. I pray that we wouldn't tune any of this out because it makes us uncomfortable. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would use these words, inspired by your Holy Spirit, to cause us to walk in step with the Spirit. And that you would use these moments together now, Lord, to make us holy people. So, Lord, once again, we're asking you for something supernatural. This is not a lecture, Lord. You know that. Remind us of that. This is a supernatural moment to encounter you and your word that we might be transformed. Oh, God, may that happen. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory here and among the nations. Amen. You can have a seat. Once upon a time, many summers ago, a little boy went out for ice cream with his family after a long walk on a hot summer's day. And they stopped in at an ice cream shop on their point where they were going to return home. And this particular ice cream shop was known and had a reputation for serving really large soft serve ice cream cones. So you could get your small, your medium, your large, but then they kept going to extra large and extra, extra large and extra, extra large, all the way up to one that towered about eight inches or more of soft serve ice cream above the cone. And this little boy was very hot and very thirsty and he liked ice cream very much And he begged, and he begged, and he begged his mom for that biggest cone on the menu. And she tried to warn him that his eyes were bigger than his stomach, and there's no way that he'd be able to eat, let alone enjoy all of that ice cream. He did not believe her, and he continued to argue confidently that he needed that cone. So his mom did something very wise. She told her son, you have a lesson to learn today, son, and my words aren't going to teach you that lesson because you're not willing to listen. That ice cream cone is going to teach you the lesson. I'm going to order it for you, and this money is an investment in your future. So she bought him the towering monster cone that he had been lusting after. The first two or three inches went really well. But soon that boy's stomach reached capacity. It was full, but he had a point to prove. And so he kept eating and eating. And a few minutes later, there he was standing in the middle of a a hot day, sick to his stomach, on the verge of vomiting ice cream all over the sidewalk, his head swimming from a sugar overload, melted ice cream running down his arm because he couldn't keep up with the hot sun and several inches of ice cream left to eat. In fact, a good-sized cone's worth still there. His mom was right. More is not always better. Just because we want it doesn't mean that we should have it. I wish that I could tell you that that little boy learned his lesson that day, that from that day on he was always content, that he never wanted more than his fair share, that he never again struggled with envy, he never craved to have what was not his to have, and that he was always happy to wait for good things in the right amount at the right time. I can't tell you that because that little boy was me, and my life from that point on has continued to be full of struggles with envy, with contentment, with self-control, with patience. But the $3.25 or whatever it was that my mom spent on that giant ice cream cone that day was, was not a waste, it gave me a reference point for these matters that I've returned to many times throughout my life, and a reference point that I came back to this week as I was studying what the Proverbs had to say about cravings and contentment and self-control. I saw this week the authors of the Proverbs trying to help their children and their disciples learn the same lesson that my mom so longed for me to learn all those years ago, the lesson of knowing when enough is enough, the lesson of knowing that we don't actually need everything that we want, and that if we actually got everything we wanted, that would be disastrous. These aren't just lessons for children, right? We live in the Western world, we live in a culture drowning in, in excess, as in m- more than we need. We're surrounded by too much of everything, too much entertainment, too much information, too much stuff, too many temptations, too many choices. One of the things that I hear from people who live in other cultures and come to North America is just how, how much there is. Like the one thing I've, I've heard more than once is salad dressing. Like a hundred choices of salad dressing. it's just, And we're just used to it. And that's just one example. We're surrounded by so much. And what all of these options tempt us to believe is that what we need is more. That one more thing. The one thing that we don't have yet. We need the new thing, the other thing, the different thing, the more exciting thing, the one more thing. We live in a culture that's drowning in cravings, desires, envies, lusts. But this isn't just a new problem. It's not a Western problem. It's not a North American problem. It's a human heart problem, and it's as old as the Garden of Eden. You know it's interesting in Genesis 3 6, Eve saw that the tree of the, the fruit of the tree was pleasing to the eyes and and good for food. And so she took it and she ate it. But you know what we read back in Genesis 2, 9, is that she was in a garden full of trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. But lust never looks around at what it has. Lust always looks at what it doesn't have, and it wants that and this craving for more this craving for what we're not supposed to have has been a part of our sinful condition in fact it's been right at the heart of our sinful condition ever since then and the book of proverbs describes this problem very starkly when it says in these words that we read together earlier this morning sheol and abaddon are never satisfied and never satisfied are the eyes of men man proverbs 27:20 20. sheol and abaddon are the places of death and destruction The grave, gobbling up the wicked and never getting full enough, never having enough. There's never enough people that have died that the grave says, okay, you're allowed to live forever now. That's sort of the idea here. And Proverbs says that our eyes are just like that. We look at things and we want those things. And yet when we get them, we're never satisfied And so we look around for more. Our eyes are as hungry as literal hell. That's what this is saying. And so right out of the gates, we know that Proverbs isn't messing around. Envy, lust, covetousness, our wild cravings, however you describe it, it's a big deal. And it's and it's not okay. That's one of the, the big lessons Proverbs wants us to know is the folly of our destructive desires. Proverbs twelve twelve. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evil doers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. It is the wicked who want what the wicked have. In other words, envy is not neutral; it's it's dead wrong. And not only is wanting what ours, sorry, what, wanting what is not ours, not only is it wrong, but it, it's really harmful. Right, Something that the Proverbs tries to show us. Things are, not, things are bad, and not just bad, but, but really harmful. So, Proverbs fourteen thirty: A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. So a heart that's tranquil, that's okay with where it's at. The whole body is, is, is fine and healthy, is the picture here. But craving what you don't have will eat you up from the inside out. And that's why Proverbs twenty three seventeen says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. So we're going to come back to this idea several times throughout this morning, that the, the antidote to our, our wild cravings is a proper fear of God, an orientation, relationship with the Lord. But listen to the plea here let not your heart envy sinners. Don't give in to envy. It's poison. And on your handout, you can see there's several more passages that describe this ugly sin of envy and call us to run from it. So on the one hand, what Proverbs does is it shows us that these cravings for more, these destructive desires are are poison. On the other hand, Proverbs shows us the way of wisdom. What's the alternative, and we could even say the antidote to envy, lust, wild desires, how does a wise person respond to a world of more? And Proverbs shows us a threefold way of wisdom. So if you can imagine maybe a rope that's got three strands in it, and this is the, the rope that we hang onto in order to not be swept away in the river of our desires. And the first strand of this rope is contentment. Instead of envy, instead of lust, instead of craving what we don't have, wisdom is finds contentment. It's content with where we are and what we have. There's a passage that we considered a number of weeks ago from Proverbs 37 to 9, but listen listen to how these words describe contentment. Two things I ask of you. This is a prayer. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food, here it is, that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So this is, this is what the fear of the Lord looks like practically. The wise person fears God, knows God, recognizes that all things come from God. This is huge, right? We know where it's all coming from. And so they seek from God what they need and nothing more. Because the wise person knows that what they need is all they need. And that if they get a whole lot more than what they need, it's actually not going to help them out at all. And it might cause them to forget the very God who gave it to them in the first place. So they're content just to have their needs met. The Apostle Paul embodied this contentedness years later when he said, But if we have food and clothing... With these, we will be content. Interestingly enough, food and clothing, the two things Jesus said that we could count on in the Sermon on the Mount. As God feeds the birds and clothes the flowers of the field, Paul said, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Desiring more than you need is like taking a nosedive into the concrete. It will destroy you. Whereas a wise and godly person is content with what God has given them. So that's the first strand in this rope. Number two, first is contentedness. Number two is self-control. This is the second strand of wisdom in response to wild desires. Self-control and self-control is knowing when to say no to yourself. Self-control is just controlling yourself. As a song that I sang as a child, so wisely taught me. A self-controlled person knows how to hang tight onto their own reins. They know not to do everything they feel like they want to do. And they know not to grab onto everything that they feel like they want. Their desires don't control them. They control their desires. Proverbs 21, tw- uh, 21.20 paints a, a good picture of self-control when it says this. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So here's the idea. A fool can't store up supplies like oil and treasure because he has no self-control. He spends all of his money as soon as he has it. He eats all of his food as soon as he gets it, and he's got nothing left over. Whereas a wise man knows how to say no, he knows how to stop. And so he actually has some that he can store up because he's not just consuming it all as soon as it comes in. He has self-control. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight tells us that a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. In the ancient world, cities had walls. That was their security system. That's what protected them from enemies, from thieves, from robbers. A city without walls was just anything could happen. And that's what a person without self-control is like. Anything can happen. They're at the mercy of their passions, and those passions are going to destroy them. A self-controlled person, on the other hand, by by comparison, is like a city with a wall. A wall. They're protected, safe, secure into the future. We're we're really skimming over these because, as you can see in your handout, we're going to get some more practical understanding of what these look like in real life here. But we're just surveying at the beginning here. And so we now come to the third strand in this rope that we hang on to, that a wise person hangs on to, and this third strand is patience. Sometimes we might have a desire for something that's not bad, in and of itself. But a wise person knows how to trust God and wait for his timing instead of charging ahead to grasp something as soon as he wants it. Proverbs 19.2 tells us, desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. So even with the things that we think we need, if we rush ahead and grab them, making haste, acting in desire without knowledge, it's not going to work out well. Wisdom adds knowledge to desire. Wisdom knows how to wait on the Lord and how to be patient. So we've seen in broad strokes the lay of the land. On the one hand is envy, wild cravings, impatience. On the other hand, contentment, self-control, patience. Now, thankfully, like we've pointed to, the book of Proverbs doesn't leave us there. The book of Proverbs gets specific. It gets very specific on what this war of desire looks like when it comes to some some very particular issues in our real life. And so the next section of this message is called Battlefronts, and here we're going to see what this war, tug of war or maybe a full-out pitched battle what this war between wisdom and folly looks like in several aspects of of our real life and the first is food food is one of those areas where the craving for more battles against contentment self-control and patience think of what proverbs 25:16 says if you have found honey or we could say to my uh, seven-year-old self, ice cream, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. And here's what we need to realize. Is honey bad? No. God promised to lead Israel into a land flowing with milk and honey. But he did not mean for them to just lay on the ground and let that flow of honey just flow right into their mouth and keep having more and more and more and more and more. They needed to be self-controlled and know when to stop. Proverbs 23, 1-3 to describes someone who sits down to eat with a ruler and a rich banquet is spread out in front of them. And the average person in that spot, again, think, this was in a culture where you, you couldn't go to the store. All of your food had to be worked for and, and, and it was hard work and Often you didn't have lots and lots and lots. And so this person's been invited to sit down with the ruler. There's luxury in front of them. And the average person is going to be really inclined to dig in and to pig out. But verse two warns against this in the strongest language possible. It says, put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. It would be better to slash your own throat than to gorge at that table in front of that ruler. And the reason seems to be that the ruler is watching the person. Uh, they want to see how this person is going to respond to this rich meal. They want to see if they're wise and self-controlled or not. And that's why verse 3 says, do not desire his delicacies for their deceptive food. A wise person is able to reign in their appetite despite being surrounded by luxury. And there's a couple of similar lessons in 2117 and then 236-8 that you can read later for yourself. Uh, Proverbs 23, 19-21 gives a very direct word about gluttony. It's about eating way more than you need. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Gluttony will result in poverty, so stay away from those and, so stay away from it and from those who practice it. Gluttony was a temptation to Israel. God had promised to bless them with lots of food. So it was a temptation. Gluttony is a temptation to us, living in a culture where it's really easy for us to eat more than we need as often as we want. And so Proverbs calls us to be content with what we need and to be self-controlled in knowing when to stop. That's our first battleground. The second, Alcohol. You might be thinking, hey, we're in a Baptist church. We don't need to talk about alcohol. Uh, But it's in the Bible, and we sure do. Alcohol was plentiful in the ancient world. They didn't have fridges or water treatment plants. And so fermented grape juice was safe to drink and could be preserved for quite a long time. And uh, this may not be true, but I, I have a, a bit of a theory, as i was been talking to my sister, who's in a, in a place, uh, she's in Romania, where they produce a lot of wine and surprisingly don't drink lots of it. And I, I said to her, I wonder if the more hands-on you are with producing alcohol, the less likely you are to drink lots of it, because you know how much work that that took. And that's just a, a theory I developed yesterday, and that may not be true. But it's, it's interesting that even in Israel... Where alcohol was so plentiful, there was still a temptation and, a, and an opportunity to drink more than you should. That being said, we can't say that alcohol is wrong in and of itself. We can't say that. Proverbs 310 promised that those who honor the Lord with their wealth would have vats bursting with wine. Psalm 104.15 says that God gave wine to gladden the hearts, the heart of man. In the New Testament, what was Jesus' first miracle? It's making wine. And in 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul specifically told Timothy to use a little wine for his stomach problems. So we can't say alcohol is always in and of itself wrong. We can't. It can be a good thing and a gift from God. However, and there's a big however here, we also can't say alcohol is no big deal, and we should feel free to have as much of it as we want whenever we want it. Proverbs makes it very clear that wine is a battlefield where the craving for more can be deadly and where self-control is so important. 20 verse 1 says it very starkly when it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Okay? You know what he's talking about. Have you ever seen someone who drinks too much alcohol? They lose perspective. They lose self-control. And they very often start to throw things around, starting with their fists. There's six verses in chapter 23 that describe the dangers of too much alcohol. And it's worth us hearing these words all together. So I'm going to read for us from Proverbs 23, 29 to 35. Listen to these words. If you've ever been tempted to think, ah, who cares? We don't need to be so uptight about alcohol. Hear these words. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. He's describing being drunk here. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. There is so much pain that comes to those who don't know when to stop with alcohol. And we see this in our world today, don't we? Think of the lives destroyed by alcoholism, the damage that people have caused to others while under the influence. Some of you in this room might know that very, very up close and personal. And this is what has led many Christians to conclude that that alcohol should not be a part of their life at all. Timothy was one of those people. That's why Paul had to tell him to have a little bit for his stomach, right? People oh, Paul told Timothy to drink wine. Yeah, exactly. He had to tell him because Timothy took so seriously those warnings about not being given to alcohol that he cut it out of his life entirely. And Paul had to tell him that a little bit for medicine was okay. Even in today's secular world, more and more people are embracing complete sobriety as the best choice for them. But we have to be careful. We can't say that alcohol is always wrong in any amount. There are Christians who are able to enjoy small amounts of alcohol in moderation and in ways that don't cause others to stumble, which is a big thing that we're not going to get into this morning. But if that's you, then hear the warning from Proverbs. Understand the danger, and you'd better know when enough is enough. There's more to be said. But we're confining ourselves to the Proverbs, and we're going to move on now. Number three, money and possessions. This is the third battlefront where the desire for more rears its ugly head. Once again, like honey, like food, like alcohol, money and possessions are not wrong in and of themselves, but they're a battlefront where lust and contentment wage war against each other. For starters, Proverbs tells us those who want to have lots of money and stuff, particularly those who want to have it fast, are going to suffer. And so there's these two interesting Proverbs in Proverbs 13, 11 to 12 that we really need to take together. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And so these proverbs really need to be taken together. They tell us that get-rich-quick schemes almost always fail. And they cause people to feel sick at heart when their desire that they had is is taken away from them. But those who have the patience and self-control to gather little by little will usually find their desire fulfilled. Proverbs 21.5 tells us the same truth. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Remember, these aren't promises. They're general principles. But in general, they're telling us an important lesson. And you need to remember this lesson the next time you get an email in your inbox that says, I work four hours a week selling this miracle product and I made five figures last month. Get rich quick. Click here. It's a lie and it almost never works. And I've seen how many of my friends and family jump onto these bandwagons and get spit out the other side soon enough as they realize that it just doesn't work. Proverbs warns us against the desire to get rich quick. That desire itself is just wrong and destructive, but it goes further. Proverbs warns us against the desire to be rich in the first place. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Why? When your eyes light on it, when you see it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. Some of you in this room know exactly what that's like, to have large amounts of money just go poof, or to have big amounts of possessions just go poof in a fire or a disaster or something like that. And so that's why Proverbs says, don't work for wealth. You can't count on it. It's fickle. It can disappear overnight. The stock market can crash. Thieves can break in and steal. Moth and rust can destroy. And I'm quoting Jesus here, right? He said, don't, don't store up treasures on earth because they won't last so instead of craving more and more, more and more stuff, more and more things, the newest and the best and the latest, what are we to do? Well, we're to be content. And we're to recognize that being wise and godly is far, far more important than having lots of stuff. Okay? I say that again. This is the message of Proverbs. Being wise and godly is way more important than having lots and lots of stuff. Listen to these next Proverbs. I'm going to read them, read them all in a, and just listen for the word Better. And hear how these Proverbs call us to get our perspective straight. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. That's 15, 15 to 17. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. Okay, A good name, they're talking about your reputation. And so you see how these Proverbs are calling us to see that godliness is and wisdom are so much better than being rich. So you know how we can sum up these Proverbs that we just read with a verse from the New Testament? Godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6.6 6. So instead of craving more and more stuff, more and more money, these Proverbs call us to seek wisdom and godliness and to be content with what God gives us. Number four, the fourth battleground, is our sexuality, our intimate relationships. Two years ago, we studied the first few chapters of Proverbs, and the call to contentment in this area rang out again and again and again. Proverbs 5, 15 to 20, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. And then it goes on to say, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? And you can, you, 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 many of you will remember from Proverbs chapter 6, 20, all the way to the end of Proverbs chapter 7, there is so much in the first half of Proverbs warning his son against the dangers of always wanting more and of wanting what he should not have in this regard. And so in the, in the second part of Proverbs, the same warning is there, twenty three twenty eight. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit. An adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. We heard earlier that the eyes of man are never satisfied. And nowhere do we see this more clearly than in the area of sexual lust. Always wanting what we don't have. Single people are tempted to crave and take what God has not given them or not yet given them And married people are tempted to be dissatisfied with the one whom God has given them. And if you're not married this morning here, if you haven't been married yet, there's a big lesson for you is that lust never goes away when you get married. Because lust, by its very nature, always wants what it doesn't have. It always wants more. It always wants something new, something different. It wants whatever God hasn't given it. And that's why the majority of the warnings in Scripture about lust are addressed to people who are already married. Eve wasn't content with all the trees in the garden. Solomon couldn't stop at 699 wives. Lust demands more. And if you want a refresher on where sexual lust will land you, Go back and read those opening chapters of Proverbs. Look what happens to those who aren't content, who don't have self-control, who aren't patient for God to give them what they need. Proverbs 7, 22. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Here, we need God to give us contentment, patience, and self-control. The fifth, we're going to move quickly through these last two. The fifth battleground in Proverbs is with our temper or our anger. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. That's Proverbs fourteen twenty-nine. Proverbs tells us how important it is to stop and control ourselves instead of giving into our temper. And you can read the same truth, Proverbs 1632, 32, 19, 11, and on. And there's several other verses there that are all telling us the same thing. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Anyone can go be strong on the battlefield. Not everyone can control their temper. Once again, this is an area where way too many people give themselves way too much permission to get mad about all kinds of things that they shouldn't. Married people think that it's okay to fight as long as they make up afterwards. I've heard moms talk about how good it feels to yell at their kids and just get all their emotions out there. When I worked construction, how normal it was when, you know, the drill bit slips off the screw and punches a hole in the wall to get mad because it was simply obeying the laws of physics. And we must not let that happen. These things are not okay. Okay. We have to keep a tight leash on our anger. That's what wisdom does. Number six, this one might seem like it's kind of coming out of the blue, but this speaks about contentment and patience in regards to our age. There's these two Proverbs, 1631. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Proverbs twenty twenty-nine. That was 1631, 2029. The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. So here's what's going on here. Old people, sorry, young people, are tempted to look at gray hair as being a sign of weakness. And what the author of these Proverbs is saying is, no, 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 that's a crown of splendor. And older people might be tempted to look at young people who are stronger than they are and wish that they could go back to being like that. And what these Proverbs do is they call both the old and the young to be content with where they are in life. An older person should carry with them a lifetime of wisdom and perspective. And rather than wishing they were young, they should be content with the legacy that they get to pass on. And young people need to be content with the fact that they're not old. And they have far more to learn than they even think that they do. And you can't rush this learning. The wisdom of age comes with age. And we must be patient as we gain what only the years can bring. So, six battlefronts between envy, cravings, desires, lust, and contentment, self-control, and patience. And we could end the sermon here And what would we have been given this morning? A lot of good advice. And it's true. And it's good. And we got to do it. But I don't just want to leave you this morning with good advice. And I'm glad that the Bible doesn't end with the book of Proverbs. Because the Bible goes on, and instead of simply good advice, the Bible gives us good news. Don't you need good news this morning? I don't know about you, but this is is a really... uh, these, these proverbs that we've read kind of feel like being poked in the, in the eye repeatedly Or as we realize, I haven't done that, I haven't done that, I haven't done that. We need more than good advice. We need the good news of a Savior who lived an entire life as a man and never once gave in to his sinful desires. We need the good advice of a Savior who went and bled and died on a cross for every time that you did and offers you forgiveness today and a mercy that's new every morning. And you say, yeah, but you don't know what I did yesterday. And we say, yeah, but his mercy is new every morning. And he knew what you did yesterday and he died for it on the cross and it's paid for. And there's nothing separating you from your heavenly father anymore. We need that good news and we need a good news that doesn't just leave us at forgiven, but we need this, a Savior who died that the Holy Spirit might come and live inside of us and empower us to walk in his ways and to obey his word. And so we need the good news that comes from Galatians five sixteen to 26. am not going to comment on these verses very much, but just hear what they have to say after everything we've seen this morning. But I say... Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. seen a lot of that in Proverbs this morning, haven't we? I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace Jesus expects his disciples to be self-controlled and Jesus enables his disciples to be self-controlled and patient and joyful and loving and everything else we read there as he fills them with his spirit. And so that's the call for us this week. We must heed these words from Proverbs and put them into practice. But the way we do that primarily is by walking with God by digging into his word, by allowing the words of the spirit to fill our mind and our heart, by consciously relying on him in prayer, by walking with him, by digging into Christian fellowship, by by living the Christian life as we see it in scripture, keeping in step with the spirit. And as we do that, we will find the fruit of the spirit being born in our lives. And so that's why we're gonna end this morning by a prayer asking the Holy Spirit, to come and fill us and to bear his fruit in our lives. That is the good news in your battle with craving contentment and self-control. Once again, so much more to say and more that we surely will see and look at in the coming weeks. But may you be encouraged this week to walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit and watch this fruit grow in your life. Heavenly Father, would you help us to remember what we've heard this morning? And more than anything else, as we head into this week, oh Lord, help us to keep in step with your spirit, leaning on him, filling our minds and hearts with his word, calling to you, coming to you in prayer, and all the other ways that you've told us to walk with you. And may each of us, Lord, see the joy of having the Spirit's fruit grow in our lives. Amen.